Welcome to another of the Short Crude Street podcast that Jonathan and I have been doing for months now because we thought it was only going to be a few weeks. Uh, this is Gary Wolf, and today I am delighted to be able to talk for the first time in quite a while with Nebula and Locus award-winning uh, writer Linda Nagata. Uh, and how how are things on the island, Linda? You're on Maui. Hi, Gary. It's great to be talking to you. And um here on Maui, things aren't too bad. It's been very different because um, we've had no tourism for months. So the island's um, a lot less cars on the road and a mm-hmm. lot of rental cars parked around the airport. I would imagine. I would, but, um, well, the question that always comes up then, since you're, you're, you're no longer swamped with tourists, and uh, does this give you a lot of time to catch up on reading? And uh, if, if so, are you enjoying it? Well, to be honest, for, for Ron and I, our lives haven't really changed all that much. We tend really? to permits hanging out at home most of the time unless we're traveling. So for us, we've just been very, very lucky throughout this whole thing. And, um, you know, I've been able to keep quite busy with writing and my own projects and been mm-hmm. doing a lot of, of reading and listening. I have to tell you, Gary, that I am very much an audiobook fan, and that's how I do most of my reading these days. I've heard that from a number of people. I've, I've got to get into it, I guess. Uh, the problem I've always had, I'm not a terribly fast reader, but 16 hours to listen to a book seems to be more time than I have, especially when I've got deadlines. Yeah, I can understand that. But for me, I listen when I'm doing other things like boring yeah. chores or you know garden work, that sort of thing, uh, walking on the treadmill. And so it, it, it makes double use of time. So it, it helps me in that fashion. And some of these narrators are just, they're just wonderful these days. I remember the, the first audiobook I listened to, I got it from my dad. Uh, so this way back in just after 2000, I think. Uh-huh. You know, he was always a great reader, but he, um, you know, he's having troubles with, with aging and he couldn't really read novels anymore. So I thought, oh, this would be great. Uh-huh. And um, I started listening to it, too, and it was the most boring thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> so I didn't look. So you're not going to tell us the title of that one. I no, I'm not going to. But okay. I didn't listen to another audiobook for probably 15 years. So they're much better nowadays. I think that must be true, because I remember trying to listen to them uh, back when back when you could get them on uh, CDs and CDs, right? uh, pro- yeah. probably even back before. I remember checking things out of the library when they were on cassette tapes and a novel would be like 30 cassette tapes. Uh, yeah. And it, it was, was too much work. And you're right, the narration was was not very good back then. And since then, I hear there are books that are actually improved by being audio. I've heard that too. I've never actually read one and then listened to it. Uh-huh. Well, what's, what's been your favorite audiobook listening experience uh, this past summer and beginning of fall? Oh, that's, that's an easy one to answer. Um, yeah. That is um, Kate Elliott's Unconquerable Son. Okay. Yeah, and that was, um, the story was fantastic, and the narrator was just so talented. It was one of those, I, certain audiobooks come along, and I will start thinking up boring chores to do so I can listen more. <laughs> so this one falls into that category. It's, it's, it's probably a hidden benefit of audiobooks, then, is it, it makes you do stuff you need to do anyway. Right. Well, the I, I know that some of the audiobooks that have come out, and I've li- I listen to bits of them because bits of them show up on samples on Audible.com, and some of them are virtually produced as as theater pieces these days. Um, it seems there's, there's, I guess, one of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman that just literally is a 
professional production. Um, mm-hmm. I think so. I, I, I missed that one. I think it was um, from Audible, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself trying to read uh, things that are like the Kate Elliott novel is obviously very hot contemporary novel. Uh, and some people find themselves in stressful times trying to go back to comfort reading. A lot of people read murder mysteries. And then the other side of the coin is, OK, this is time to, I don't know, read uh, read all of Proust or something along those lines. Do you, which, which end of that spectrum do you find yourself on? I'm probably somewhere in the middle. What I've actually found with audiobooks, too, is that I enjoy nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So I recently finished um, a book by Buddy Levy that's called Labyrinth of Ice, and that's about the Greeley Polar Expedition in um, the end of the 19th, towards the end of the 19th century. Mm. And that was that was another one where I was thinking up, what can I do just to listen to this book? It's just engrossing. And I really like these these exploration narratives. I, I'd read an earlier book by Buddy Levy. I mean, I shouldn't say I read. I listened to uh-huh. okay. Buddy Levy. Yeah, that I just found very enjoyable. Um, and then there's those ones that take me by surprise, like um, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers. Yeah. I listened to that uh, a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed it. It's a very good book and almost too appropriate to to our times. I, I've heard that from other people as well. It's a fairly sizable book, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just out of curiosity, when you're listening to this, let's take the Chuck Wendig book, mm-hmm. and you're doing errands or, or, or housework or that sort of thing, how many days of listening do you think that represents? A lot. <laughs> two weeks or more, you know, just listening when I can. Yeah, it can right. sometimes, some books are just, I feel like I'm never going to get to the end, but that wasn't one of those. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's that's what I meant about people sometimes deciding to try to take a book that they've never finished. Nobody, by the way, nobody that I've talked to in all these conversations who set out to read. Okay, I'm really going to read. I don't know all of the Fairy Queen this time. None of them have ever, ever actually done that. So I think that ambition probably doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wendig's book is not. You're right. It's not something you'd read or listen to to take your mind off of things. It's is not there anything? Comfort- no. No. Is there anything that you regard as comfort reading? Probably some nonfiction, maybe science type of books. Um, uh-huh. One that I, I listen to off and on is um, The Tangled Tree, which is um, it's about um, genetics and how DNA can be transferred between um, different species, especially bacterial species. Doesn't that sound exciting? It sounds like something I could hear. I could see you making use of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's I don't know that there's just sometimes the narrator's voice just makes the the book so interesting. I'm I, I can understand that in a dramatic novel, uh, in a nonfiction, uh, I, I assume the Tangled Tree is a, a more or less a popular science text. In other words, it's not an article in Nature magazine. Well, Nature, magazine, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and how that's interesting, I don't know. I guess I've been watching off and on some of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's. Uh, Cosmos, which I don't think he wrote. I think they're actually being written by Andrew Yan or somebody. Uh, and it's 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 a great performance. And once you, once once you start getting into the math um, and that sort of thing, it, it you kind of drift away. But when you're listening to this, you don't have these wonderful uh, computer-generated special effects you do on a TV show. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of concentrate on it. Right. You don't have the maps or the right. tables either. So, yeah, it, it makes a difference. But usually you can get the PDF that mm-hmm. 
you know, the pictures and whatever from the book, but I almost never remember to do that. Well, as long as we were talking about books coming out, you've got one. I noticed this, uh, something you mentioned on, on, on Twitter mm-hmm. that uh, launching a book like next month. Is that correct? Yeah, just um, I'm trying to get it out on October 8th. It's um, a near future thriller called Pacific Storm. I'm kind of rushing it out because I want to get it out ahead of all the, the year end chaos that I'm anticipating. And I, but I don't want to wait till next year. No. And I, when you said I want to get it out before, I thought I thought you were going to say I want to get it out before the Pacific storms actually show up. Um, <laughs> We've already had one. You've, yeah. You, you, I, I, I've noticed that that's unusual for the islands, isn't it? Uh, it used to be. We're getting a lot more hurricanes coming closer to the islands or actually hitting. I think the big islands been hit by two or three in the last few years. Well, is this is this what your novel deals with? It deals with a hurricane, among other okay. things. Yeah. Well, um, and as you mentioned, it's uh, it's always a bit fraught to be launching a novel in the middle of a pandemic. But a lot of people have had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people have had them put off and are coming out this fall. So. I know a lot of the books that were supposed to be summer books and some of the books that were supposed to be fall books are now spring books. I think what's beginning to happen, though, is that uh, especially the marketing departments of publishers and, and, and maybe editors are thinking, well, they'll, they've discovered, for example, that putting off a summer book until fall doesn't do much good because we're still locked down. And now they're beginning to I'm beginning to hear people say, OK, putting off a fall book to spring isn't going to make much difference either. Mm-hmm. So you might be just as well off in October. I hope so. Um, I had pl- I had hoped to get this book out a little earlier in the year, but it um, didn't quite work out that way. No, but- well, uh, um, I don't know. Is the hurricane? Of course, where you are, they're called typhoons, aren't they? Nope, we're on oh. the we're on the um, the western the eastern side of the Dateline, I guess. Okay, it's the Dateline that makes the difference. Right. Yeah. So once you cross the Dateline, then they become typhoons. I believe that's how it works. I I I know I've read that at some point. Um. So. Is the time is the hurricane season in the Pacific similar to what it is in the Atlantic and the Caribbean? Because all we hear about here in the States, of course, are what happens in the Caribbean. I think it is. Um, starts in what is it? Late May runs through end of November. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sounds about right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, so your, the point is, your novel will come out before the season is over. That's true. Yes. Do Do you feel nervous about writing near future science fiction these days? Since since change, climate change, political change, uh, uh, epidemiological change seems to be happening a lot faster than we probably thought it would a couple of years ago. I think I'd be more nervous if I were going through the, the traditional publishing route and it might be two years until I saw the book in print. Um, I but, can understand that. Uh, you know, I can being putting the book out through my own company. I can bring it out a lot faster and. So it doesn't feel like it's as big a risk. Yeah. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. And I, I, I've heard of authors who have basically dropped projects because the world has changed so much. There was a famous case uh, 20 or well, a long time ago during the at, right at the fall of the Soviet Union, when I think Norman Spinrad had published a novel about the future of the Soviet Union. It was just basically obsolete on the day of its publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you need to worry about that. But that brings up another thing, and that is you've had, it seems to me, considerably more success with uh, publishing through your own company than um, most people have. You've been kind of a pioneer. If I'm not mistaken, Red was the first basically self-published Nebula nominee, wasn't it? That's what I was told, yeah. 
and I remember, I may, I may be wrong about this because it goes back even further, that one of your uh, stories and novellas was the first online publication to get a Nebula nomination back. Goddesses, was that it? Yeah, Goddesses. You won, was you won the Nebula for that. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that won the Nebula. Yeah, that was the first online, but, you know, that was traditionally published. Um, oh. Yeah, that was, right. yeah, Ellen Datlow had put that one out. Well, there's a lot of debate among younger writers uh, about the virtues of, of doing this. Obviously, you had a lot of experience with traditional publishing before you set out to do this, but it seems to me that you're doing it with uh, a level of professionalism that very few writers are able to attain. Well, that's my goal. I mean, my goal is to have the book essentially the equivalent of a traditionally published book. Mm-hmm. You know, in print and in ebook format. And, you know, I'm, I'm just very lucky in my background, Gary, that I can do that because, you know, I worked for nine or 10 years in, um, in web development and um, with, with some graphics work. And it's mm-hmm. like I, I came into this with most of the skills that were needed to, to do a lot of the ebook prep. So, right. And then, but, but the- I've also been in, in traditional publishing. So, I have some insight on how that works, too. So, so yeah, well, that, that's what I've been trying to, to do is to to put out real quality books. And uh, I hope well, I, I expect and, we'll be you know, seeing I mean, the that's, that's the goal of, of most writers. Well, um, a lot of indie writers will, will hire out the, um, the work that they need done. I just happen right. to do a lot of it myself. Well, I think that one of the things that uh, that that makes a difference is uh, looking on, on your website or looking on uh on you know an Amazon or Barnes and Noble website is paying attention to design because it seems to me that a few years ago uh, independent not just self-published books but books from small publishers frankly looked awful and your covers are frankly terrific and and thematic in in, in the sense that each series seems to have a, a design component that goes from novel to novel. Well, I I've been very lucky with covers too. I'm the covers for the Inverted Frontier series. Um, yeah. Or done That's by, yeah, Sarah Ann Langton did those, and I think she just did a fantastic job. Well, are we, I, I go just, ahead. When I was trying to finish the books, I had the covers done before the books were done, and I had the covers up on my walls, printed out, <laughs> motivation to get the books done. That's that's a probably a good way to do it. When you're in, again, when you're in control of the whole process yourself, you can you can do that, uh, and you and you're not in the position of any number of writers I've talk to who once they see the cover on their book just get enraged and uh and 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 in some cases want to withdraw the book i don't think that happens as much but uh there was a famous case i know when uh i think gene wolf was not very happy with the original paperback cover of shadow of the torture mm. and yeah so so so, I, so I, basically I, go ahead i say I, I felt that way but i also think that um the cover's these days are generally so good. I think so they are. Yeah. I think I think what people are concerned about is not necessarily the quality of the art, which is almost uniformly good now, but whether the cover reasonably represents the, the book. Mm-hmm. And that's always been an issue, of course. There was going back to the days of the magazine. Are we going to see the cover of Pacific Storm? Is that up yet? It's not up yet. Um, it will be up around October 1st or 2nd, I think. Okay, great. Well, we will look forward to it. And of course, we're over time. I knew that would happen. Uh, but uh, this is Gary Wolf. We've been talking on the Cood Street podcast to Linda Nagata. And thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you again for having me.